the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Seth today. We are going to be joined here in a moment or two, I hope, by Naomi Wolf. And uh, we're rigging her up right now, I, I trust. And But I want to preface this um, uh, by saying that the reason that I wanted to have her on the program is that she has written one of the more interesting essays I've read in a long time. A lot of you may remember her name. Uh, she's a lifelong liberal, a uh, very noted uh, feminist. Uh, she first came to my attention in 2000 when she was an advisor to the Al Gore presidential campaign. And uh, so she's, you know, she's been a liberal for, for, for many years. And and the piece that she has written, it's appeared in several places. It's appeared, I think, on Substack, at uh, Front Page Magazine, and I think I saw it at the Independent Institute, is called, Is It Time for Intellectuals to Talk About God? And she is with us now. Naomi Wolf, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. I was just saying by way of introduction, Naomi, that I think your piece um, that we're talking about here is one of the most interesting essays that I have read in a long time. And and I I really want to walk through it with you in kind of logical, logical fashion and maybe start with a little bit of your history. I mean, you are uh, you've got, uh, you know, great credentials as a liberal, right? Thank you. I, I hope so. I, I used to. Uh-huh. Hello? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, so you, you I mentioned uh, by way of introduction a moment ago that I first learned of you when you were an advisor to the Al Gore presidential campaign in, in 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. and you've, you've got a real history, uh, among other things, as a notable feminist. Thank you so much. Yes, I definitely come from that side of the aisle. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think of myself as a classical liberal and it's a lot of overlap with, you know, conservatives and libertarians. I mean, just someone who loves human rights and freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and justice um, and all those things that used to be what America was all about. And, and, and despite that, that long pedigree, uh, you know, you were always a darling of the left, to my knowledge, but despite all of that long pedigree, you have, in the last couple of years, run afoul of, uh, of what's become liberal orthodoxy as it relates to COVID and related subjects. Just to tell our listeners about that. How, how did that all happen? I will. I just want to share that it makes me really sad to, to recount this. But yes, that is a fair enough summary. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, since lockdowns in March of 2020, it was obvious to me as someone who studied uh, tyranny that this was a classic power grab to destroy our 
republic and to strip us of our rights as Americans and globally, you know, in every democracy, we're seeing the same thing and using uh, the pandemic as, as kind of a pretext. Um, I wrote a book in 2008 called The End of America, which warned that there are 10 things that would be tyrants always do, whether they're on the left or the right, to strip a democracy of, you know, liberty and create a totalitarian society and and that, you know, we were heading in that direction if we weren't careful. And then all all of that, like, you know, the way, the way I've been putting it since March of 2020 is that the coup has already happened. Um, half half of the states in the United States are under emergency law, you know, in, in Canada, in Australia, in Britain, in Austria. Um, it, there is essentially martial law. Uh, you know, parliaments don't have power. There's emergency measures. Uh, their edict. Hey, hey Naomi, can I just interrupt you for a moment sure. here to amplify that yeah. point? I live in Minnesota, and I was stunned. Uh, our governor issued an executive order at the beginning of the whole, you know, uh, COVID panic that literally said that no resident of the state of Minnesota can leave his house except as permitted in this order. I was stunned at that. I, 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 I couldn't. That's actually that's the worst I've heard. In the United States, I mean that's a China level edict, but that's really shocking. I'll have to get a copy of that. Yeah, well, we're you know we've we've seen this kind of stunning, you know, Stalinist like meta Stalin. Even Stalin can lock his people inside their homes. I mean, this is a a really a North Korea level of uh, totalitarianism. And so anyway, you know, in answer to your question, I I did what I've been doing for decades, which is I it up to the Constitution. Unfortunately, this time around, especially after the Biden election, and I voted for him, um, you know, I I was thus running afoul of my friends and loved ones and, and, you know, all the institutions I had believed would care about human rights and about violating the rule of law and about creating a two-tier society. But sadly, um, you know, the more I spoke up for liberty, I was very surprised to find that my my friends and and you know colleagues on the left really shunned me and ultimately deplatformed me for being a critic of this administration and and of this kind of movement towards totalitarianism and I was surprised to find you know I, I welcome it but it's also kind of bittersweet that people who are libertarian or conservative are very supportive of um, my efforts to warn people about how terrifying and catastrophic it is to to lose our rights in this way. A lot of what what you did here, too, that ran afoul of the left is really consistent with your long involvement in feminism and so on. And and you actually um, did research, and I think you were the first one to to break the story of the the negative impact that vaccination could have on women's menstrual cycles. Yeah, thank you for recognizing that and thank you for talking about it as i said earlier today on bannon's war room you know it's not an easy subject for for us all to talk about in public but we kind of have to because it's it's not just about women's health it's about the future of the human species uh because uh, you know menstrual cycles are directly connected to fertility and so yeah i did break the story uh about a year ago uh that the mrna vaccines were dis- in quite appalling ways, disrupting many women's menstrual cycles in ways I don't need to get too graphic about, but super unnatural ways. And, um, 
and and I was deplatformed. You know, I was kicked off of Twitter. I was kicked off of YouTube. I interviewed a very respected set of doctors, including Dr. Alexander, uh, Dr. McCullough, and Dr. Alexander spoke about this. And and YouTube froze my channel, and you know, four hundred thousand views froze it. Um, and 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 I was called um, crazy by a CNN, a CNN spokesman and a Media Matters spokesman, uh, Matt Gert. So um, that turned out to be important reporting because now the New York Times and the CDC and uh, Israeli studies all confirm that the mRNA vaccines are um, wreaking havoc on women's uh, menstrual health. And again, you know, as I said this morning, that is so serious, not just if you're a woman, you know, where the average is that you're bleeding 12 days extra a month. That's a big thing that a lot of women would think twice about if they're not in a, you know, high-risk group before getting an mRNA vaccine. They were not told about that. The studies hadn't been done. But leaving that aside, you know, you can't get pregnant unless you've got a healthy menstrual cycle. That's just a fact. And the studies have not been done about comparing vaccinated to unvaccinated women with menstrual dysregulation and seeing what the effect is on being able to conceive in a healthy way, bring a baby to term, have a healthy baby. Uh, it's very serious. And, and to your point, as a feminist, I'm gobsmacked, right? I'm talking to you, a conservative man, about something that all of my feminist women colleagues who purported to care about women's health should have been talking about for the last year, and they were silent. So thank you. But something is very wrong on the, you know, in, in the camps that I come from. So th- this is something we've seen over and over again through this whole COVID fiasco, something that you get deplatformed for. You you broke the news here. And then 10 months later, the New York Times says, oh, yeah, that was right. You know, it's yeah. kind of like that, you know, it starts with the lab leak hypothesis, right? That was a conspiracy yeah. theory. And, and now people say, oh, yeah, that's actually probably true. And we've seen this uh, this over and over again. But but sometimes you're right too soon and you don't get forgiven for having been been right in the first place. Yeah. You know, Naomi, but, we have to we have to run to a break here, but but we're going to be back uh, with more with Naomi Wolf right after these messages. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Seth today, and we are talking with Naomi Wolf. And Naomi, before the break, we were talking about the 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 news that you broke about about some of the adverse. Uh, effects of of the covid vaccines on on women and you got deplatformed and and abused and and suppressed and i think that's something we have seen throughout the last 2 years i mean the essence mm-hmm. of science is open dialogue exchange of yeah. information um, yeah. empiricism you know let's try to figure out what's going on and 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 it seems like whenever anybody actually tried to do that the the uh the the, the effect was um uh, censorship you know we saw yeah. doctors who would try to talk about treatment it's amazing to me that there's been so much focus on vaccination so little treatment so little focus mm-hmm. on are people finding effective treatments for COVID? And when doctors would try to talk about that, you know, they would get deplatformed. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm writing right now about how the way big tech behaved in the last two years in terms of censorship 
was really, I think, about training us to be a more CCP type, um, you know, communist China type society and getting us dehabituated from being Americans or Westerners who, as you say, have a, a very noble tradition of, you know, science proceeding through open inquiry and debate. I mean, anyone who knows the history of medicine or the history of science knows that, um, you know, over and over again, especially with women's health, but, you know, really with so many things, that the, the science of the day once believed that, uh, you know, women were crazy once a month or, you know, people of color had were stupider or, um, you know, thalidomide was a good idea or silicon breast implants were healthy for you or, you know, so many things have, have had to be revised over the years uh, at, through open debate and discussion. But no, since the pandemic, there's this rhetoric of follow the science as if it is dear leader, right? We're supposed to drop all of our critical thinking, all of our expensive educations, and just listen to what the experts say without, but not those experts over there who are raising really important questions. And you're absolutely right. It's not how science proceeds. And it resulted in what I'm starting to talk about as a mass murder event. And it will someday soon be prosecuted as a mass murder event, where not only did Pfizer conceal 1,200 deaths within the first 60 days of their rollout internal documents, you know, showing those deaths, and they just, you know, didn't disclose that, and then their their spokespeople said safe and effective, safe and effective. But it, as you say, in the two years that, that followed, uh, therapeutics like ivermectin, which are shown to be miraculously helpful soon after infection, were suppressed, and people who tried to talk about them uh, were were drummed out of town. And I'm in touch with these heroic doctors like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Alexander. Um, you know, they spoke up for the human race, but they they endured horrific backlash. Uh, and 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 letters went out from the American Medical Association, kind of warning people they'd be have their licenses revoked if they uh, dared to treat people. And people died. And this is, you know, again, a mass murder event. This is not how medicine is supposed to proceed. Yeah, I don't have any idea whether ivermectin is effective in treating COVID or not. But what I do know is that the people we need to hear from are the real uh treating doctors not not yeah. not bureaucrats like anthony fauci but doctors who are out there treating patients and they need to be exchanging information openly about what's working what's not working how's it working I, you know when do you I, administer it you know yeah. this is the this is the conversation that needs to take place and instead yeah, exactly. it's been squashed exactly i you know i'm not a medical doctor but i remember you know until 2020 your course of treatment was between you and your doctor. You know, if if the, the medicines were available in pharmacies, uh, you could be prescribed them by your doctor. And I literally just talked to a friend who has long COVID who has had to go, several friends I know of now, have had to go to this one pharmacy in Brooklyn that will dispense this forbidden treatment. And this is, you know, this is how things operate in closed societies. This is not not how American medicine or science is supposed to proceed. And, and you know, I, 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 I feel, how can I put it, it's like so overwhelming, it's hard to talk about, but in addition to how wrong it is for social media platforms to censor open discussion that could yield benefit to people just trying to figure out how to treat themselves or their children, um, the fact that so many physicians were 
chilled from doing what they knew was right and coerced into not just that, but evidence is emerging that they falsified, uh, you know, death certificates. They, you know, there were changes to move the cause of death down. So it looked like people died of COVID when they died with COVID, um, all the way to, you know, incentives for vaccinating children. You know, uh, someone just contacted me and said his pediatrician said 34 kids have died of COVID in the area. I have to vaccinate your child. And that person, to their credit, checked with the coroner and the Board of Health, and there were no deaths of children from COVID. So um, the, 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 the fallout of all of this includes that people don't trust doctors anymore, and doctors got corrupted. So it's very tragic. Now, I mean, there are so many angles to this thing that we could talk about. To me, one of the most, I think what we have done to our children is a crime. It's too bad when an 85-year-old guy with multiple pre-existing conditions passes away, maybe sooner than he otherwise would have. That's unfortunate. But, but when, when we force our children into masks, you know, and we shut down their schools and we tell them, don't get too close to your fellow kids, you know, you might make somebody sick. I mean, I think it's a crime what we have done to our children. It, it's the biggest abusive experiment on human children in the history of humanity. I mean, that's what it is. And it is child abuse on a massive scale. And it's it's psychotic and it's systematic. My, my stepson's school sent a note saying that kids were not wearing their masks properly and not remembering to distance. And then the school was going to give them physical reminders of double masking them. Like this is absolute abuse. <laughs> psychotic abuse. It's, it is creating already cognitive deficits in children. Children have to see children's faces in order to learn social skills. It's, it's generating autistic children who were not autistic and children with like obsessive compulsive disorders who would not have been obsessive or compulsive. It's, 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 it's breaking down the human um, instincts children are born with to uh, play, to, uh, fool around, to imitate, to have fun, to joke. I see children with no expression and other educators are sounding the alarm about this, children who don't know how to smile. It is a vast crime. Yeah, and, and we hear people say, oh, it's okay, children are resilient, right? Yeah. Oh, these children are being scarred. Hey, we got to run to a break, but Naomi, please do stay with us because we haven't even gotten yet to the most interesting aspect of your article. We will be back for more with Naomi Wolf after these messages. Welcome back. We are talking with Naomi Wolf about her terrific um, essay, Is It Time for Intellectuals to Talk About God? And Naomi, before we get to the real punchline of, of your essay, which I think is just terrific, I want to talk about one other aspect of what I view as just a complete fiasco of the of the COVID situation of the last two years, and that is the apparent willingness of so many Americans to go along with this kind of semi-totalitarian regime. I, I I've been shocked by that. Yeah, I mean you you don't watch MSNBC and CNN all the time and read the New York Times every single day. Maybe you do, but my friends do, and they are completely brainwashed you know if you don't have any other sources of information if you don't watch you know all, all, basically alt-right news it's what it's 
come down to or libertarian sites like Brownstone or the read the Epoch Times, um, you you would have no idea. Or you know, if you're not on Getter, you would you would have no idea that uh, that this is a catastrophe that it is. And there's also something about all that repetition that um, you know turns people into kind of a cult cult members. They can't engage in critical thinking. It's very heartbreaking. It really is, and, and and I understand what you're saying about the the propaganda that we've been subjected to, and so on. But I would have expected there to be more of a sense of rebellion, uh, a more resistance to yeah. uh, these mandates. Everybody's got to put a mask on. I mean, there's no, in my opinion, I've studied the data fairly closely. I don't think there's any any real evidence that masks make a material difference. And, and I, I would have thought that Americans have more of an independent spirit and more people would be saying, wait a minute, time out. You know, I'm not yeah. going to wear a mask unless you show me some evidence that it helps. Yeah, I mean, I can only talk about kind of my side of the aisle and that dysfunction um they they did something super clever and this was a focus group uh the propagandists realized that people i know and love would be swayed by a message that it's how you show caring for other people so literally you know people i know and love on the left feel like if whether they it's not about does the mask help or not objectively it's that i want to show that i'm a caring person i'm not selfish uh, and I'm not a Trump voter, you know, like there's this they managed to brand mask wearing as, you know, the right on thing to do. And and like even my mother, who's smart, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this. She's a smart woman. She was very freaked out that I was coming to see her after going on Tucker Carlson. And I'm like, Mom, you know, I can't give you COVID if I don't have COVID. And she's like, yes, but you'll have been around Republicans and they mingle. Right. So there's this phobia of I'm serious. You know, God bless her. But there's this phobia of people who are not you know, MSNBC watching locked down, you know, obsessive compulsive, which are now most of the left, um, this phobia of this world in which, which I thank God I've been in for the last two years of people like making their own decisions, moving around freely, getting alternative sources of information. Um, it, it's seen as very infectious. I mean, people I know and love will not sit outside with me because I am not vaccinated. That's how propagandized they are. And, and some things that seem to be firmly embedded, especially in the in the liberal mind, have just gone out the window. I mean, what happened to my body, my choice? Oh, my right? God. I mean, that's <laughs> long gone. It is heartbreaking. How- I mean, I wrote this essay in which I, I said exactly that, that Justices Sotomayor and Kagan are very vocal, as they should be, about, you know, woman is has the right to make her own medical decisions, but it, it literally four weeks later, it goes out the window when it comes to mandating mRNA injections on, on people unlawfully who don't choose to do that. And it, it's, it's such cognitive dissonance that smart people don't see or don't want to see, I think, the uh, contradictions there. Well, another one is disparate impact. It, it, the, the truth is uh-huh. that the ethnic group that has the most unvaccinated people is blacks. And so uh-huh. when New York City put that, that vaccine mandate in, that, that uh, disproportionately impacts black residents of 
New York City, and I, I, I was naive enough to think that some liberals would point that out and would care. But instead, you have this mythology that it's the Republicans that are, you know, unvaccinated. It's Naomi, shocking. thank you, thank you so much for your time. I hope you'll stick with us for one more segment because now I want sure. to get to the really interesting <laughs> element thank of you. your I'd piece. Love I think. I'd love. We'll, to. Okay, we'll be back with more after this. Welcome back. We're talking with uh, Naomi, Naomi Wolf about her terrific um, essay, Is It Time for Intellectuals to Talk About God? Naomi, explain to our listeners why it is or how it was that this experience with COVID over the last two years turned your thinking in a, in a religious direction. Thank you. I, I wouldn't necessarily say religious because I don't feel completely comfortable in any uh, organized religion. Um, I'm Jewish, um, but it's definitely led me uh, into a spiritual <laughs> journey. Um, and I'm definitely thinking about God. And I guess what's changed for me in the last two years is that I have, I've always been interested in God and had, you know, believed in God, but I, I was very shy and apprehensive about talking about it in public for a lot of reasons, but also, you know, in the culture I come from, the kind of secular, right-on, elitist, you know, Northeastern culture, intellectuals really are not supposed to talk about faith or a spiritual life or a spiritual dimension. Um, it's considered de classe. So I'm not proud of that, but that's the truth. So I basically, you know, living through these last two years, have been very, like, literally on my knees at this point. I'm just, like, praying. And... And I'm just kind of realizing that nothing we can do, like this evil of what we're we're going through is so massive. And so, you know, as I put it in the essay, so complex and so, you know, quickly constructed and so elegant in certain ways, it seems beyond human capabilities, right? To me, I've seen bad politics. I've seen stupid, mean people. This is far beyond that. And it, to me, it really, you know, almost, is, is proof of the satanic because it's so well accomplished and, and, you know, it strips people free will and it harms children on a massive scale. And it's, it's so anti humanity and anti God. And so as a result of seeing this massive evil that I could not understand on a human level, it kind of led me to believe like, if this evil is so massive, it must be aimed at a massive God. <laughs> you know, there must be a God. It must prove the existence of God. And and also, I, I kind of realized, and this is hard for me to talk about because I'm not used to talking about it in public, but I, I have to get used to it. Um, you know, nothing in our hands will save us, right? Like, you know, I have a huge platform. I'm well-educated. I know powerful people. That's not saving us. You know, nothing we can build will save us from this. Nothing, our money won't save us. Our, you know, fame won't save us. Literally nothing but God can save us now. And, and, and I feel that. And so I've literally kind of, I, I've kind of dropped any sense of my own will or people I know, you know, being able to will their way out of this. And I, I, I literally feel like we've got to just kind of throw ourselves on God's mercy and just, you know, say, help us. Uh, because, and maybe that's, Maybe that'll be something beautiful that comes out of this horrific experience. But I, I feel like the beautiful world God made, the beautiful humanity God made, the human body, which is a temple of the divine, 
you know, made in the image of God, uh, you know, that is what's been targeted by these demonic forces. And there's no other way that I can really understand it except, except that, that it's a war on God and on human beings as God's children. Your, your logic, Naomi, that, that the existence of this kind of demonic environment is itself an argument for, for the existence of God reminds me of something I used to say, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but also somewhat seriously. I would say, I, I'm not sure about the existence of God, but I, but I know there's a devil. I know that because he talks to me. <laughs> I, I, hear, I, I hear from him. <laughs> I hear from him. And, and from that, I guess I could infer that there, there must be a force for good in the, in the world as well. But Naomi, one of the reasons why your essay resonated so much with me is that it, 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 it ties in, I think, with something I've been thinking recently on a somewhat different topic, though. It wasn't the COVID thing that, that had me thinking in this direction but rather what's happening in, in education. And, and you know, I, I run an organization that's done a lot of work on education. We've done a lot of work on critical race theory, uh, which I think is just evil. And, and they're trying to get a curriculum in the public schools where I live in Minnesota under the guise of ethnic studies that teaches kids starting in kindergarten principles like, number one, there's no such thing as normal. Number two, oh, there's God. no such thing as common sense. Oh, Number no. three, these ideas of normal and common sense are really uh, oppressive structures that are intended to shore up the hegemony. And number four, your role as a kid is to be disruptive and to destroy the hegemony. And, and I look at this stuff. I'm not kidding. I mean, that literally is 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 the curriculum. And I look at this oh, and I think God. this isn't this isn't just misguided policy, you know. I mean, this really is demonic, and and I, I just I feel like your reaction to the COVID uh, oppression that we have that we have lived through is similar to what I've been feeling. That there's more going on here than just some some misguided people who have are pushing some bad policies. I mean, I, I feel like there really are kind of demonic forces that have been let loose. Yeah. And I mean, your example of the schools is such a good one. I mean, I'm hearing these stories of abusiveness and bullying and horrible, like curricula that, you know, destroy the bond between parents and children and destroy the role of the family. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, not a, I mean, I'm very kind of inclusive and, you know, I'm, I'm not a, judgmental about families, but I believe in families, right? And and the curricula that I'm being shown are astonishing. And yeah, that teach people that, you know, they need to be divided by race. It's 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 so thorough, right? This attack on our children. It's so thorough going. I went to a school board meeting at which uh, you know, children were told they had to I mean they're torturing children. They're making them sit outside in freezing weather. They're making them they're they're they took away in the school the kids um lockers so the children were had to carry around like 40 to 60 pounds of books on their backs and and it was harming them and you know they were told they had to get vaccinated to play basketball it wasn't even the law of the state i mean so many horrible things are being done to our children that it is really just again beyond bad politics you couldn't accomplish this you know with just bad politics so uh, i do think we're under a you know whether it's, it's spiritual or material or both um, you know, a great medical freedom activist told me when I said, like, how can you, 
keep going day by day. He said, we battle not with um, flesh and blood alone, but with principalities and powers and evil in high places. Or I'm sure I'm misquoting, but you know that quote. And and I think it's true. Um, and they are they are aiming at our children, and they're aiming at the family, and you know the things that that make us able to unite as a community. I mean, the fact that people couldn't worship for two years, you know, that is that is demonic. Naomi Wolf, thank you so much for being with us and taking so much time. I just want to recommend one more time that all of our listeners uh, track down this terrific essay. It's Substack. It's um, uh, Front Page Magazine. I think I saw it in Independent Institute. Title is, Is It Time for Intellectuals to Talk About God? Naomi Wolf, thank you for being with us, and we'll be back for a final segment after these messages. Welcome back for the final segment of, of today's uh, Seth Liebson show. Uh, we just finished what I thought was a really interesting interview with Naomi Wolf. And, of course, we were talking about uh, COVID repression, COVID mandates, and so on. And to shift over to kind of a more mundane level of this whole, this whole story, um, I, I just want to close by talking about the fact that uh, the mandates are in retreat. And um, I did a post on Powerline this afternoon, blue governors retreat on mandates. And and it took off from a piece in the New York Times uh, saying that there's a trend here. Uh, New York's governor said uh, yesterday that she's ending the state's indoor masking rules. Governor of Massachusetts announced uh, face coverings going to be optional in schools. By the end of the day, the governors of Illinois, Rhode Island, and Washington all said that they were going to be loosening various uh, coronavirus rules. I, I think in the last few days, seven blue state governors have, have said they're going to uh, terminate or, or dial back various, um, various mandates. And um, the Times, of course, had, had kind of mixed feelings about this and and they 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 tracked down some people who are unhappy about some of these mandates coming to an end, and it kind of made me laugh because they they quoted a woman who is the top public health official in Los Angeles County, and she's very concerned about ending mandates. She says, "quote We should not be lifting the masking mandate when we are reporting thousands and thousands of new cases every day. That doesn't make sense." Well, time out. I, I think some of us would say, well, I think you're drawing the wrong conclusion there. If we're reporting thousands and thousands of new cases every day, doesn't that suggest that the mask mandate isn't actually working and maybe we should do away with it? But, of course, that's not how these people think. But but the point I really want to make is why is it that these blue state governors are all of a sudden uh, thinking it's time to – do away with mandates, even though obviously the coronavirus hasn't gone away. And and the answer is because a lot of them are up for re-election in November. That's why. And and I think a lot of governors are concluding that the that the people have had enough, and if they want to have a chance of getting re-elected uh, later this year, they got to start backing off on the oppression and the mandates. But but you know who doesn't have to worry about getting reelected this year? Uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida has got no concerns. Another person who doesn't have to worry about her reelection uh, campaign this year 
is Christy Noam in South Dakota. She's going to sweep sweep to victory. And and I think what what we're seeing is that the the states that have not been so oppressive have done much better. And um, and that's the reason why the mandates are winding down. That is a wrap for today. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline. Thanks to Seth. Uh, thanks to Bill Davidson. And hopefully I'll be back uh, guest hosting this show again before too long. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 